is Mark Riley show. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday evening. Had a little rain throughout the day, last couple of days actually. It may get worse. There's something called Hurricane Joaquin that may be coming up the uh, East Coast and uh, may touch us just a little bit. That could uh, create some serious problems under certain circumstances. But uh, we got a lot of stories to cover, so we're going to get right on it and uh, let you know a little bit about what's happening in the world. Now, ordinarily, I would not talk about Donald Trump, who my good friend Harriet says, he who shall not be named. But I am going to talk about Trump a bit tonight because Trump has actually come out with a proposal. You know, he does this like once, a, I guess, in between dogging out the media and dogging out, you know, various candidates and et cetera, et cetera, which is what he does habitually and most often. But in this case, he actually has come up with something. He's got a tax plan, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that tax plan has been analyzed, and it's not particularly good news. You know, people talk about, you know, flat tax rates and, simplifying the tax code and getting rid of the IRS and that, da, 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 da. Well, Donald Trump's tax plan. Now, this isn't according to me. This is according to the New York Post. Maybe they're getting even with him for the criticism he's leveled at them recently and all of the Fox holding Fox News Channel, et cetera. But according to the New York Post, actually not even according to the New York Post, the Tax Foundation, which, by the way, is a conservative group, says that his tax plan would cost 12 trillion, with a T, dollars over the next 10 years, despite his saying that his plan would not, repeat, would not increase the deficit. Tax Foundation says Trump's changes to the individual tax code would reduce net revenues by about $10.14 trillion after accounting for higher incomes due to an 11% jump in the gross domestic product, which is not a given. That's just an estimate. Uh, the tax cuts for corporate, uh, corporations would bleed, and this is the post saying bleed, $1.54 trillion over the next decade. His plan to dispense with the estate tax would cost $238 billion, which means, of course, that Trump and people like him will reap a benefit his kids, I guess, and others in his family. Because that's who ends up paying the estate tax when somebody, unfortunately, passes. He says, it's going to cost me a fortune. Uh, he said the top 1%. Now, this is what we need to pay attention to about Trump's tax plan. 
even though he says nobody earning, I think it's under $50,000, would uh, end up paying any tax at all under his plan. What he's saying is, or what the Tax Foundation says, that the 1%, you remember the 1% from Occupy Wall Street? They would see their after-tax incomes, after-tax incomes, increase between 216 and 27%. I'm going to say that again, just uh, just in case you missed it. The top 1%, the people on top of the U.S. economy, would see their after-tax incomes increase between 216 and 27%. The bottom 30% would gain between 0.6% and 11.5% in after-tax income. Under this proposal, as I mentioned, individuals earning $25,000 or less and couples making $50,000 and under would pay no tax at all. Now, of course, Donald Trump, uh, and I'm kind of surprised he just didn't call them weak and losers like he calls anybody else that disagrees with something he comes up with or just disagree with him generally. This, they say, and this is a response from Trump, uh, and, of course, it wasn't from him directly. It was from one of his people. He didn't really have that many people compared to some of the other pe- folks running for president. But, quote, they seem to largely ignore most of the plan's pay-fors. But even accounting for that, their figures seem widely off the mark, especially compared to how they scored similar provisions for Jeb Bush's plan. Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio have all submitted plans. They say, the Tax Foundation, that is, that their plans would cost the government between 3 and $4 trillion. Now, where are they going to make this up? Do we not have a rotting infrastructure the way things are now? And you're going to put more money in the hands of the 1%, who, as far as I can tell, haven't been in an altruistic enough uh, uh, reality to actually build anything. They're not building any public structures, that's for sure. They're not building bridges. Imagine what would happen if somebody asked the 1% in this area, in the New York, New Jersey area, to help fund the Trans-Hudson Tunnel. They'd be screaming bloody murder. They might have the extra cash, though, if Trump's plan came to fruition. Or, for that matter, Rubio's or Rand Paul. Three to four trillion dollars. So the cheapest is $3 trillion. The top is $12 trillion. How the deuce is America supposed to afford that? But that's what these clowns come up with. And it's not just Trump. Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, where do they plan to get the money from? Just have the Treasury manufacture it? They jumped and screamed when Obama did that. Or actually, when the Treasury did it under Obama's watch. This is utter madness. Now, of course, they uh, say Bush and Trump say they would remove an incentive notice carried interest, which allows hedge fund execs, not the most popular people in the universe, to pay a lower tax rate than wage earners. But also, Trump would cut the top individual rate from 39.6 to 25%, and the top rate for business, 15%, and he would, as mentioned earlier, eliminate the estate tax. This is uh, 
this is some real interesting stuff. And, you know, Trump will be the last guy in the world to actually put any meat on the bones in terms of this plan. He's put the plan out, and that, of course, should suffice for everybody. Even though the Tax Foundation, a conservative organization, I might add, says it's going to cost all this money, Trump's not going to tell you, or tell anybody else for that matter, how he's going to make up this shortfall. $12 trillion over a decade. That's more than a trillion dollars a year. And if you ask him about it, he's going to call you weak or you didn't read the plan or whatever. And, of course, it's expected that he would disparage the Tax Foundation's numbers. Of course he's going to disparage those numbers because the numbers don't add up for him. But will they add up for the American people if somebody's crazy enough, if the American people are crazy enough to elect one of these people president? You know, because they got plans, the Republicans in Congress. They got big plans if a Republican takes over the White House. We'll get to one of their plans a little bit later on in the program. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Now, this is something that, that people... I know that people have been complaining about this for the past 10 years, maybe longer. Have you ever been on a job? And I think some of you have. Have you ever been on a job and they bring some fresh-faced kid in to kind of sit alongside you and learn what you do? And they sit alongside you and they learn what you do for maybe three months or maybe six months or however long it takes. And the next thing you know, you're out of a gig and the fresh-faced kid is doing your job. I know plenty of you have experienced this. Well, as it turns out, some American companies are not just bringing in fresh-faced kids. They're bringing in fresh-faced people from India. Now, you know, there's been a stereotype for a pretty long time now about how so many American jobs and American functions that would normally take place inside America have been outsourced to India. Well, what they're doing now is taking advantage of the temporary work visa program, which is called the HB1 visa. And what they're doing is bringing in numbers of Indians that are actually part of a huge outsourcing company. And they come in, And they do the same thing the fresh-faced kid used to do. They sit at the cubicle. And this is specifically, this article refers to Toys R Us and one of the larger uh, life insurance companies. And they let them get away with this. And, by the way, there are also companies. Now, HB1 visas are limited to $85,000 a year. The companies that have received the largest share of HB1 visas have been global outsourcing firms. Now, it's, it's interesting. One is based in Ireland. There's an Indian, a couple of Indian companies and a company called Cognizant. There's another visa called the, L, the L1B. It has no cap and allows businesses to internally transfer their employees who have advanced knowledge from branches in other countries to offices in the good old USA. 
So think about this for a minute. You know, and, and you know, we can think about this without becoming xenophobic or without talking bad about Indians, because that's not really the point. The point is these corporations are using a visa program in a way that it was never intended to be used. I don't care what it is, the L1B, the H1B, whatever it is, its purpose was not to cause Americans to lose their jobs. And, you know, they, they, they talk about this. Let me, let me just read a paragraph from the story in the New York Times. At the Toys R Us headquarters on a leafy campus by a reservoir in New Jersey, I think it's Wayne, New Jersey, someone dressed as Jeffrey the Giraffe, the retailer's mascot, often wanders around greeting employees to bolster company spirit. But the mood was hardly, hardly playful on the morning of March 3rd when a company vice president summoned nearly 70 employees to a conference room and told them their positions would be transferred by the end of June to workers from TCS, one of the big Indian outsourcing companies. Quote, we were asked to cooperate and show them respect and train them to do our individual job functions. This is according to an accountant, 36 years old, and worked there for 12 years. But she said, if you didn't cooperate, you would be asked to leave. A few days later, TCS workers arrived to begin the training called, get this, knowledge transfer. You know, it sounds like something out of sci-fi. You know, they put something over your head and they put something over the other person's head and they switch a button and next thing you know, everything you know is sucked out of your head and sent it to the head of somebody else. Most of these folks from India had flown in several days before, and they were staying in a La Quinta Inn nearby. And according to the woman that was interviewed here, the person that shadowed her really didn't know all that much about accounting. His expertise was in observing and mapping what she did. Is this, there's something profoundly un-American about this, as far as I'm concerned. I don't quite fathom why companies are allowed to get away with this. It's taking advantage of a loophole. And, of course, if you call any of them on it, they will have their reps, who, by the way, they pay relatively well, and they'll come out and say, we follow the letter and the spirit of the law, and we're not doing anything that is illegal. We just feel that there are certain certain job functions that are better performed. They come up with these lines. I could write them down myself. They're ridiculous. They are utterly, utterly ridiculous. But this is what they do. And time after time. See, because the fact that this has been exposed does not mean they're all going to stop in their tracks. Believe me, uh, a couple of other companies. All right, now, one of them is at the New York Life Insurance Company. That's the insurance company I was mentioning. They're laying people off and outsourcing their jobs. They'll tell you, well, we laid off 300 or 500 or 600 people, but we're getting ready to expand, and we're going to hire 3,000 new people. Well, why in the world... Would they hire new people if they have people there whose only sin, it seems, is to have been there for a while? 
And I, I bring this up because uh, where I live in New Jersey, there's an A&P. For those of you who don't know, A&P has declared bankruptcy. The company's out of business. Many of the stores that they have across New Jersey, because A&P is based in North Jersey, many of those stores will close forever. Some of, and by the way, not just A&P's, Pathmarks as well. Some of them are being picked up by Stop and Shop. So earlier today, I was over at the A&P where the shelves looked like, you know, there was a hurricane like Sandy was coming and people had bought out everything because they were mostly empty, empty shelves. And there were a group of employees that were standing around talking. I really didn't pay that much attention to what they were saying, but I could imagine what they were saying about their own jobs, their own futures. Many of them, I'm sure, had been there for a minute. And when I went in the checkout line, I noticed that the guy who was checking me out was the customer services manager, which, you know, managers don't usually work the cash machine or work the, uh, the cash register. But I said to this guy, because I was curious, I said, well, you know, what have they told you about what the situation is here? And he said, we really haven't been told anything. He said, a representative from Stop and Shop came by. I guess from human resources. I, I got very little use for human resources departments, but that's another discussion for another day. Guy from human resources came over and, you know, he did a meet and greet, said hello to everybody, but he didn't say anything about our futures. Didn't say anything about whether we're going to have jobs next week or not. Big sign out in front, you know, store closing, stop and shop coming soon. And I'm not knocking stop and shop. You know, in an ideal world, they would hire the people that are already there. Maybe they need to augment a few. But, you know, A&P was, for me, interesting because there were large numbers of kids that went to my daughter's high school that worked there. None today, though. (laughs) Not a single one today. And I said to to the customer services manager that was... Uh, doubling as a cashier, I said to him, man, that's, you know, that's really messed up that they don't tell you anything. So we're just waiting. We just have to wait and see what happens. In an ideal world, there would be transparency from the minute A&P declared bankruptcy. Now, some of that transparency might be harsh because they might end up laying off people where they, in fact, close stores and Stop and Shop doesn't buy them up. But those employees, for their years of service, deserve something better than a meet and greet and a lack of specificity. And it is, to me, when you combine that with this story about people in corporate America using the temporary work visas to outsource jobs, you put it all together and it's, you know, you're screwing the workers here. You are screwing workers, period. And again, you know, these aren't people making $150,000, $200,000 a year. Maybe they're sweating their jobs too. I don't know. We don't see them. But the fact of the matter is they're screwing workers. 
They're pushing people out of jobs, not because they're incompetent, but because they make a contract with a bunch of workers from India or wherever, and it's cheaper. It's less expensive. And they can bring them here. There is, as far as I'm concerned, there is nothing worse in the world than than to be sitting at your desk somewhere and have a manager bring some kid in, whether Indian or American, it really doesn't matter, and have them, we want you to show so-and-so what you do and how you do it. Now, some people back in the day really didn't pay that much attention. They said, okay, fine, <laughs> not a problem. And they showed a person, what, and, it, and they don't realize it, it doesn't dawn on them, till they get called to the manager's office one day and told they don't have a job anymore. This is, this is just, just despicable. That's all I can say. Absolutely despicable. And see, when it comes to these kind of companies, most of these workers aren't unionized. Because if they were, this would be marginally more difficult to pull off. But, you know, ah, we don't need unions. <laughs> That's what they say. Until they do. We're going to switch gears right now and talk a little bit about Planned Parenthood. You know, they're still talking about, although they passed a clean funding bill, apparently, to keep the government operating for another few weeks or whenever. But that doesn't mean they're not still going to go after Planned Parenthood. Based on those videos that were, by the way, heavily edited. Well, a number of states conducted individual investigations of the allegations that Planned Parenthood was somehow selling fetal body parts or fetal tissue. And as it turns out, Missouri announced the result of their investigation. And it turns out that they got nothing. They have got nothing. State report in Missouri found no evidence that a Planned Parenthood clinic in Missouri illegally handled fetal tissue. None. The Attorney General, Chris Coster, said members of the public and state lawmakers had asked his office to look into the allegations. But in a statement released Monday, Coster said the investigation had found no evidence that a Planned Parenthood clinic in St. Louis, the only one in the state licensed to perform surgical abortions, had acted unlawfully. The investigation reviewed 3,500 pages of documents and conducted multiple interviews of representatives at the clinic and the pathology laboratory. The 47-page report included copies of lab reports and waste disposal tracking documents. The investigation covered 317 surgical abortions that took place in June. And they chose June because the videos in question were released in July. And they figured, well, you know, if we started checking the month of August, they may have tried to clean it up. Well, they tried June and found nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, if you think That makes a damn bit of difference to the people that want to defund Planned Parenthood. I got a bridge that I would love to sell you between Brooklyn and Manhattan. 
because these people have an agenda. And we'll talk about agendas a little bit later on as well. These people have an agenda. And the agenda is to destroy Planned Parenthood as the tip of the spear toward outlawing abortion in this country. That's what they want. They want to take women back to before 1973. Whatever trash they may talk, whatever high-mindedness they may try and spew, that's their end game. And it's really about time that people who stand up for women's right to choose, for women's right to choose, they're not playing. They are not playing. And who, by the way, would be worst hurt if Planned Parenthood were defunded? And by the way, abortions only account for about 5% of what Planned Parenthood does. But these folks will throw the baby out with the bathroom. They don't care what the other 95% is. They could care less. But cancer screenings and those type of things that are important for women, and particularly poor women, they would not have access if Planned Parenthood is defunded. And these are people, and we need to be real clear about this, these are people who would make poor women suffer, regardless of whether they were looking for an abortion. They would make poor women suffer in their quest to outlaw abortion. It is really just that simple. These are not people who are high-minded or who are looking out for the interests of women. You know, that was part of what they went came with when they were talking about requiring women to have sonar, and requiring women to have counseling and all the rest. Always requiring something of women. Always. But the fact of the matter is, they're not interested in that. That's a stopgap for them. All of this stuff is a stopgap. The end game remains outlawing abortions in the United States of America and reversing, somehow, Roe versus Wade. The settled law of this country for the past 42 stinking years. They don't care. These are people who envision taking this country back to a time, and, and many of them don't really remember the time because they're too young, but they want to take this country back to a time when things for them were simpler and better. And women didn't have any freedom of choice with, with, with what to do with their bodies. It's as simple as that. That's why not just women, everybody, of, of any conscience at all should be prepared to fight for Planned Parenthood because the bottom line issue is the outlawing of abortion. Planned Parenthood is a means to an end for these people. And they're sitting up in the Congress of the United States with all the important stuff this country has to deal with. And they take a set of edited videos, which, by the way, they themselves admit were edited. And instead of actually coming to any conclusions based on the entire videotape, which most of them have never seen, they take this and run with it because it fits their ideological construct. 
That's what they're doing. And they're not just doing it with this. In a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit about Benghazi. Because there was a startling admission from the head of the Benghazi uh, committee in the House as to what their agenda has been. And it's not really about investigating Benghazi. It's not. And defunding Planned Parenthood is not just about Planned Parenthood. They are not going to stop here. They're not. Absolutely will not stop. Even though Missouri has come back and said Planned Parenthood hasn't done anything wrong, they don't care that one state has found Planned Parenthood blameless. They don't care. What they want is the total destruction of Planned Parenthood as a first step toward outlawing abortion. Taking women back to the time when they had to go go to back alleys to get abortion. And by the way, it wasn't that long ago. And in the if, if poor women get crushed in the process, so be it. No problem. We got a bunch of other stories to talk about. Georgia executed a woman on death row. There's a police killing in Delaware that has brought calls for an inquiry. Reparations are being discussed at the highest levels, but not here in the U.S., in Jamaica, with the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Russia has launched its first airstrikes in Syria. I guess that means Putin ain't playing. And House hardheads, I mean, they call them hardliners here, they want to have one of their own in the leadership role. We'll see how that works. They're all, they've also got a new tactic to dismantle Obamacare. Never mind how many people have gotten health care. It's not a perfect plan. The Affordable Care Act is not perfect, but they don't care. And sometimes I wonder if maybe progressive folks are going to have to play the same kind of hardball politics that we see this outlier group in Congress of congressional Republican. Are we going to have to do what they do in order to win? It's 6.30. This is the Mark Riley Show. We will take a short break. I was going to say commercial break, but we ain't got no commercials here. We'll come back with those stories and a whole lot more. Stay with us. You are listening to PRN.FM, the Progressive Radio Network. Network. Hi, I'm Bhavani, and I'd like to invite you to tune into my show, IE Green, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. to hear the latest news about our health, the environment, and the good food movement. I'll also share with you one of my favorite recipes. So tune in on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Progressive Radio Network is moving forward, and we hope you are coming with us. You're listening to PRN, Progressive Radio Network.
back. It's 28 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. It's the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. If you want to talk about anything we've talked about or anything that's on your mind, just dial up 877-874-4888. That's 877-874-4888. Because, you know, that outsourcing thing, I'm telling you, it's scary. Some folks that may be listening to me tonight may end up with somebody coming to their desk with some guy or woman, and the manager says, hey, I want you to train them. There's another police killing that is making waves this time in Delaware. The injured party, who was killed, by the way, is Jeremy McDole. He was fatally shot in his wheelchair in Wilmington. Shortly after, the police said he shot himself. But nearly a week later, there are a, new de- a few details have emerged, even as officials from the city, police, and state conduct separate investigations into the, sh- into the shooting. Now, they say this guy had a gun. There is a video. The video does not conclusively say, I, I mean, videos can't really say, but it does not conclusively uh, prove or otherwise uh, verify, I guess, for want of a better term, the police version of this shooting. In fact, the video, which I have not seen, but the video seems to, according to published reports, indicate that the guy's hands were in his lap the entire time. Now, you know, people first of all, ought to understand that someone having a gun, in my judgment, is not a license to kill them unless they are using the gun in some threatening manner towards some other human being. I don't know the evidence in this case indicates that Jeremy McDole was actually getting ready to shoot anybody. He may have had the gun in his hand if he had a gun. But you see, here's the problem. And I've been saying this so long, I'm getting tired of saying it. When you have a situation nationally where there is a substantial part of your population, in this case the black community, who have some level of distrust with the police and with their version of events when unarmed or even, in this case, armed people, possibly, end up getting shot and killed, you take all the weight of all this evidence, Baltimore, Ferguson, South Carolina, all these different stories, Eric Garner on Staten Island, and it creates an atmosphere where if something is questionable anywhere in this country, it could be Wilmington, Delaware today, it could be San Luis Obispo, California tomorrow, When anything happens, people are skeptical. People in the black community get skeptical. Is there something wrong with that? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so at all. You got to let the facts come out. As far as I can tell, there have been a few demonstrations and vigils. There have been no riots in the streets in Wilmington. But you see, what ends up happening is the police reacts reflexively. 
if you question these things, you hate the cops, which is nonsense. It's absolute and utter nonsense. The prevailing weight of these incidents. And by the way, this does not mean that you condone violence against the police. I know I don't. But where there are questions, they need to be answered. It's pretty much, for me, as simple as that. My good friend Harriet from Bayside is on the line. Harriet, how are you doing? How was the vacation? It was great. Fantastic. Um, we were visiting my daughter and her family in Florida. Oh, excellent. And uh, now I'm back. I missed all the excitement with the Pope. Oh, it, there was Ooh. a lot of excitement. A lot of traffic jams, but a lot of excitement as well. What do you think of the Pope? Harriet? Although I'm not Catholic, I think very highly of this Pope. Um, he's not only a leader for Catholics, he's a leader for the whole world. I agree with you 100%. I said this last week. Uh, he... Yeah, and I could barely hear you. I heard a little of the program. Oh, well. No, I, I, I really, I, again, there are certain things I disagree with him about. Certain well, things sure. I disagree with the Catholic Church about. But, again, I'm not a Catholic. I respect everybody's religion. Yeah. But this pope uh, seems to have uh, an empathy with yeah. poor people. That few... Did you know that there was a family that jumped in a van, an old Volkswagen van, and drove from Argentina to Philadelphia? Oh, my God, just to see him. Just to see him. And he met with them. Well, he would. I hope they're not right about him wanting to do what Pope Benedict did, which is quit after a few years. Well, he's 78, Harry, and he ain't no kid. That's all right. He's got all his marbles. <laughs> yeah, he does have his marbles, I will say that. And you were talking about Planned Parenthood. Yes, And ma'am. wanting to make abortion illegal. Not only now... I see a lot of people who are opposed to abortion, but they're also opposed to welfare. They don't give a damn about the baby once it's born. No, they don't. That's an excellent point. They don't care about the baby once it's born. They just want it to be born, period. And, um, oh, you were talking about A&P is declaring bankruptcy, and Wallbounds is connected to them. Yeah, I think so they may happened. be closing some wall bomb stores as well. The one in yeah, I mean, this just happened because uh, you know the closest supermarket to me happens to be an A and P. Not for much longer, but it happens to be an A and P. And you know, I, I talk to people, I talk to cashiers, yeah. I talk to other folks. When I first heard about this, and they've been kept, Harriet, they've been kept completely in the dark. Yes. You no, know? well, they were talking about this in the business section of something a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, and Stop and Shop, over here in Jersey, Stop and Shop is going to buy some yes. of the A&P. Some of the stores, and then they said another store, I don't remember what. If you get your de- groceries delivered with Peapod, mm-hmm. that's Stop and Shop. That's Stop and Shop. Okay, Stop and Shop. I think Acme may be the other company that's looking to buy some old A&P stores. I, I don't know. But getting back to Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. not only that, um, if the girl wants to, let's say the young woman has a baby, she doesn't want 
the father of the baby to even know about it. Let's say she wants to place the baby up for adoption. She would have to have a fa- the father's consent. And in Florida, while Jeb Bush was uh, governor, she would have to post it in um, all kinds of newspapers. In other words, to put a scarlet letter on her. Yeah, and remember, Harriet, there was a time in this country where that was the norm. I remember. That's the time where I grew up. That's the time when I grew up. Well, I mean, these are people that believe that the time when you grew up was where we should be today. It's as simple as that. And the bad old days. There was nothing good about them. Well, they think there were. You know, I mean, you didn't, you, you know, gays were deep in the closet. Yeah. Uh, there was no such thing as same-sex marriage. And women could not choose what to do with their own bodies. That's why and it's the, you the reason why I emphasize Christian. that so much is because yeah. I'm not sure everybody understands that that's what they're in game. They think this is just a Planned Parenthood fight or another yeah. fight over some other issue or another law that they pass in some state it says you have to jump through hoops in order to get an abortion. Or they passed, uh, the, the last thing they did was pass laws that said doctors who performed abortions had to have admitting privileges at certain hospitals. And if they couldn't get the admitting pr- uh, privileges, they couldn't do the abortions. Now, that I can understand because that would be for the safety of the life of a young woman. Well, you know, you have outpatient clinics that are perfectly fine. I'm not talking about abortion mills now, but outpatient clinics, you know, that that, uh, among their services, uh, they they provide abortions. But remember, Planned Parenthood only spends 5%. 5% of what Planned Parenthood has to do with abortion. And And a good percent has to do with birth control. Yeah, and a good percent has to do with cancer screenings and a bunch of other uh-huh. services that they provide for women. Yes. You know, and I if know. you're poor and, you know, you can't get screened and, and suddenly you turn up with cancer, what, God forbid, but what are you supposed to do? Especially if they want to get rid of Obamacare. Well, yeah, I, I'm coming to that one. Because <laughs> they still, you know, you know how many times they voted to... Eliminate Obamacare or dismantle it or, or, or destroy certain votes. Fifty. They, they could 50 not. votes in the House of Representatives. Uh huh. What do you think of John Boehner? Goodbye. I mean, I, I say that knowing that whoever replaces him will probably be as bad as he is. Unless whoever replaces him. Because the Republican Party is so split, could end up being Nancy Pelosi. Well, that would that wouldn't happen until after the 2016 elections, and that would yeah. imply that the House went Democratic again. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do know no, this: no, it wouldn't have to go Democratic if the if the um, Republicans are split down the middle. There would not be enough Republicans to carry who who would be the Speaker of the House. You know, they say each congressional member has to say who they're for. And if the yeah, one who yeah. wins There's the no most doubt about happens that. to the be Nancy Terry, Pelosi. They hmm? want uh, the hardliners, and this is a story I was going to get yeah. to in a little bit, the hardliners in the House 
yes. want one of their own in a leadership position, not necessarily speaker, but majority leader, which is number two. Yes. Uh, and that's the one uh, McCarthy yeah, is well, I don't now know the majority leader, and he looks like he's going to be elevated to Boehner's gig. There were some people that were talking about challenging him, but apparently it's not going to happen. All right. Okay. Listen, got to run, but thanks so much for okay. calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, yeah, that was another story I was about to talk about. But before we get to that, let me get to something that I find utterly, utterly fascinating. Uh, and, of course, we didn't yet. Uh, actually, we only talked briefly about this woman that was executed, uh, Kelly Renee Gissendanner. Uh, she was convicted of orchestrating her husband's murder in 1997. Uh, and by the way, the guy who actually did the deed got life without parole. So she got executed. The actual guy that did the killing, life, in, life imprisonment in a plea agreement. Actually, it's not even life without parole. A guy named Gregory Owen. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about reparations. In this country, and, and I have to be honest about this, I've never thought that reparations was going to gain a, uh, a, a great deal of traction in America. Uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, people weren't really, I mean, there's, there's an active reparations movement in America. I know some of the people that are involved with it, they're fighting a good fight. But I never thought it would get a whole lot of traction. Well, it got traction in Jamaica and in the Caribbean, David Cameron, Prime Minister of Great Britain, went to Jamaica. Actually, I think he may still be in Jamaica. And Jamaica's Prime Minister pressed him to enter talks on reparations for slavery, and campaigners called on him to personally atone for the slave-owning wealth of a relative in the 1800s. The Prime Minister of Jamaica is Portia Simpson Miller. She raised the issue of reparations in a formal meeting with Cameron last night, hours after his arrival. Now, you want to talk about a reparations discussion being discussed at the highest level? Now, that's not to say the cameras are, oh, yeah, okay, fine, how much do you want? But still, reparations was brought up by the prime minister of Jamaica. Uh, you know, Cameron... Uh, kind of, you know, gets into that nothing to see here sort of thing. Well, we want to move forward. Well, we want It kind of sounded like the Justice Department after the recession in, 20, in 2008. We want to move forward. We're not going to prosecute anybody. We're, our, our focus is on the people. Well, that's kind of what Cameron's saying about reparations. You know, uh, now at least Cameron is facing pressure to actually acknowledge Britain's involvement. I don't know if he did, because he was due to address the parliament in Jamaica today. Jamaican opposition politicians are threatening to boycott the speech, saying that the issue of reparations was, quote, gaining momentum in the region. This is big stuff. This is not something that you can just, you know, wave away or poo-poo away. Or, as some conservatives say, well, we gave the blacks all these trillions of dollars in welfare. <laughs> yeah, like that makes a difference. And like welfare was an exclusively black program. Never has been, never will be. 
But when it comes to people, and, and make no mistake, to the extent that Cameron has been made uncomfortable by this, sooner or later, we could be talking about it on a much different level here than we have traditionally discussed. Yeah, I heard people talking about reparations in the early 70s, okay, when I was a much younger man than I am today. Had a lot of hair back then. And people talked about reparations for slavery. And it, it never got very far. Doesn't mean that people aren't continuing to try. But I find this particular situation utterly fascinating. Because they're saying, uh, and this is a member of Jamaica's National Commission on Reparations, Bert Samuels, he went on television to say Cameron needed to, quote, atone, apologize personally and on behalf of his country, end quote, for slavery. His lineage has been traced and his forefathers were slave owners and benefited from slavery. We were left behind because of racism. Specifically, this is a reference to the fact that Sir General Sir James Duff, Cameron's cousin six times removed, received more than 4,000 pounds compensation for the loss of 202 Jamaican slaves when the slave trade ended in 1833. Now, Cameron, after uh, he got there, refused to take questions from the media. Uh, I would submit that the reparations issue may have been a very big part of the reason why he didn't want to talk. Now, you know, I, I, when people talk about reparations, they're not necessarily talking about building a 25 million pound prison in Jamaica. Uh, and it would be used to house about 300 Jamaican citizens currently serving time in the UK. Uh, Portia Simpson Miller, the prime, min uh, prime minister, seemed to cotton to that idea. But, you know, if, rep if by reparations you mean implanting a British-slash-Jamaican-style mass incarceration... Maybe that's not what everybody's talking about, I would think. But, you know, it's at this point a very, very tricky situation and one that bears a great deal of watching because it could prove a boon to the reparations movement right here in the good old U.S. of A. Vladimir Putin, you know him, president of Russia. He ordered a round of airstrikes in Syria today. And it's interesting because I, I get the sense that he's trying to put the president of this country, President Obama, in a box of sort. Now, Moscow's stated purpose in Syria is to fight Islamic State militants, which, by the way, is supposedly our stated purpose in Syria. Now, according to this report, Russian warplanes and helicopter gunships dropped bombs north of the central city of Homs in an area held by rebel groups opposed to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, who happens to be an ally of Russia. The attacks were unleashed hours after Mr. Putin pushed a measure through the upper house of Russia's rubber stamp parliament, authorizing the use of force abroad. Now, I've long said 
that the United States, in backing the rebels that want to get rid of Bashar al-Assad, were making inadvertent common cause with organizations like Islamic State, who also want to get rid of Bashar al-Assad. So America is now left to nitpick about precisely who the Russians are bombing. And and I uh, make no mistake, I hate bombing. Because when you drop bombs on people, innocent people get killed. You know, the sun rises in the east. When you drop a bomb, innocents die. It's as simple as that. So to that extent, I don't agree with Putin's bombing Syria or any place else for that matter. But you see, the boxes that, and by the way, you know, the New York Post and a bunch of other people talking about, you know, Putin outfoxed Obama at the UN General Assembly as if these two guys were in an arm wrestling contest on the floor of the GA, <laughs> you know. Uh, there ought to be a modicum of cooperation here. The United States continues to maintain, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but they continue to maintain that Assad has killed his own people to a rather large uh, extent. And, uh, you know, British, uh, British Foreign Secretary Philip Hammond said, quote, we need the Russians to understand that in coming to the defense of the re- regime to attack ISIL, what they will do is forge a single united force under ISIL leadership against the regime. That's the huge danger we face. Well, I thought you didn't want the regime. Or are you picking and nitpicking as to who is going to try and destroy it? it, it it's a very, very strange, strange situation. Now, we got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure I get to this story. Because, you know, I I mentioned earlier that hardliners in the House want to have one of their people, a fellow hardliner, in a leadership role in the House. They wanted to draft a conservative, Trey Gowdy, into the race for majority leader. Of course, that didn't work for him so well. The sitting majority leader, Kevin McCarthy, is looking to tighten his grip on the speaker's chair. Uh, it might have been loosened ever so slightly. And by the way, there's a real interesting article about how the New York Times covered this. But the headline is, Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker favorite under fire for Benghazi con- comment. Well, what did Kevin McCarthy say about Benghazi? Every time I think of that, I think of, uh, what was that movie? There was a guy named McCarthy that was the, the star of uh I want to say the day the earth stood still, but it wasn't the day the earth stood. That was Michael Rennie. Um, <clears throat> but it was one of those movies that got made up, made over a couple times. Anyway, uh, here's what he said to Sean Hannity of Fox News. Quote, everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not fought and made that happen. In other words, we created a special committee to undercut Hillary Clinton's run for the White House. 
Congressman Elijah Cummings of Maryland, quote, this stunning concession from Representative McCarthy reveals the truth that Republicans never dared admit in public until now. The core Republican goal in establishing the Benghazi Committee was always to damage Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and never to uh, to conduct an even-handed search for the facts. He ain't lying. (laughs) He ain't lying. After what? And you want him to be speaker, Kevin McCarthy? A guy who says in an interview, and, and by the way, lots and lots and lots of people watch Sean Hannity. So it's not like he can actually backtrack much off of this. His, his best bet would probably be to double down. Uh, McCarthy was also a little critical of John Boehner. said he deserves a B minus. <laughs> like he's a teacher and he's able to like grade people. But, you know, it, I find it interesting that they are prepared, these Republicans, to elevate this guy, Kevin McCarthy, to the top of the food chain in the House of Representatives when he's stupid enough, stupid enough to say what he said. But, hey, it ain't me, all right? It is not me. Under normal circumstances, I would be saying, like, yo, whatever, man, (laughs) whatever you say. It's time for us to go. I didn't get to this thing about the House uh, and Republicans looking to dismantle Obamacare yet again. But, hey, you know, uh, the Congressional Budget Office says getting rid of the mandate, which is what they want to get rid of, would increase health care premiums in the individual market by 20%. But what the hell? They can afford it. It's time for us to get out of here. My thanks to Jesse for his good work throughout this past hour. Thanks to Gary Null and the entire crew at the Progressive Radio Network. We'll be back next week, 6 p.m., Wednesday evening. You know, it's starting to get dark early now, too. For the Mark Riley Show, I am Mark Riley. Have yourselves a great rest of the evening and a better week ahead.